0: My guest today is Olivia Barnes, a 16-year-old self-directed learner from Houston, Texas. Olivia, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: We connected because your dad, Matt Barnes, reached out to me on LinkedIn, and he mentioned that uh, he has a daughter who helps him with his podcast and mentioned your LinkedIn. And I went to your LinkedIn. First of all, not many 16-year-olds have LinkedIn's. And I went to yours and I was impressed by it. And I noticed that you had a personal website and I clicked on that. And I was very impressed by your personal website. I'm a big connoisseur of like well done personal websites. I put a lot of effort into my own. I appreciate seeing uh, how other people do theirs. And specifically what I loved about your website is right at the beginning, you say, hi, I'm Olivia, but you know, enough about me, let's talk about you. And you say, I want you to answer three questions. And you ask three really excellent questions. I'm just going to read them now. Uh, Number one, because you have no control over the future, what will happen if you wait? Number two, what does being different mean to you? And number three, have you ever wondered why me? Like that is a powerful introduction (laughs) to, uh, to anything that is written, Olivia, but this is This is your website. You're 16. How did, let's just start here. How did you end up with this website and with those questions? I'm dying to know.
1: So when I started self-directing my learning, um, one of the ways that I wanted to like show that I was still, you know, learning to um, colleges and to different people that I was talking to was through putting it on an online portfolio. And so my dad is actually the one who suggested that I make a website And it took me a long time to make it because I'm sort of a perfectionist and I wanted to put my best foot forward. Um, But those three questions, um, if you read like the story about me page, those three questions are actually what I answer. So I say, I have three questions for you. And then some of my next lines are just kidding. Those aren't actually for you.
0: (laughs) I like the trick. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But um, those are some of the questions that I think about a lot. Um, And a lot of those were sort of the questions that motivated me to start self-directing my learning and are sort of like the defining sort of principles in my life.
0: Great. Uh, I want to circle back to those questions and ask you what your answers are to them a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but first I'll mention, I'll put your website on the the show notes for this Uh, episode if anyone wants to check it out and uh, let's go back to the the beginning of your story because I'm interested in in the origin how how did you make this choice Um, I know from your LinkedIn that you have not always been uh, a homeschooler or uh, alternatively educated you've been in in some form of regular school so so walk me through your educational journey
1: yeah so um, from sort of kindergarten on to eighth or seventh grade, I went to a, um, school that was sort of a hybrid school. So I'd go to school two or three days a week. And then, um, I do sort of my homework at home and I, would uh, sort of do homeschooling with my parents. And that was not like the typical school. So I don't know if I've ever really been in a typical school. Mm. Um, but sort of my love for self-directing my learners sort of came when I was in eighth grade and we moved schools and this new school, um, they allowed you to pick and choose your classes. And so whenever I was signing up for the classes, uh, I just sort of picked the basic classes, you know, math, science, English, history, stuff like that. And my dad asked me, he was like, you know, you're interested in biology. So why not take two science classes? And I was like, well, you know, I can't do that. You know, like I'm in eighth grade, like I can't take a ninth grade and 10th grade class, but it's like, yes, you can. And if, it becomes too hard. You know, we can always like drop out or something like that. And me being someone who does not like to fail, I was like, no, I'm going to try to see if I can do this. So I took a ninth grade biology class and a 10th grade chemistry class, loved both classes, did really well in both classes. And that's sort of when I started realizing that the structure that schools provide doesn't, that's not that, that's not the formula to success. Um, and so the next year, my uh, freshman year in high school, um, I went to a uh, um, visual and performing art school. Uh, I was super excited to get in there. It's quite different from anything I'd ever gone to before because all the other schools I'd gone to were private and Christian. And this one was a lot more um, sort of out of the box and like creative and really exciting. Um, And I really enjoyed myself there. I was in the creative writing department. I really loved it there. I met some amazing people, had some great experiences, but that was my first time in a real public school. And that was sort of the moment that I was like, whoa, this, this structure is insanely rigid. And as much as I loved the experience and I loved the learning part of it, the rigidity it had and like Um, It held me back from so many other things that I wanted to do. That was really burdensome, especially from coming from the the year before where I was able to pick and choose my classes. The Mm. the rigidity was really hard. So
0: let me hop in and ask uh, what made you switch from this great choose your own adventure type school in eighth grade and go to the performing arts public school.
1: I think, I think it was just sort of the desire for adventure. So, you know, the choose your own type school was, that was an adventure, but I also like, I don't know. I just, I really like challenging myself and trying new things. And so the idea of going to a um, performing in visual art school after going to a, you know, Christian school for however long I'd been in school was a whole new level of adventure. And so I think that's why I got into it, but <laughs> the um, rigidness was also why I left it. So mm. It was you, a great experience. Sorry, go ahead. You
0: mentioned these other things that you wanted to be doing during your ninth grade year that the rigidity of school prevented you from doing. What were some specific things you were, you felt prevented from doing?
1: Yeah, so for as long as I remember, the, as the three things that um, I am sort of most interested in are competitive swimming, marine biology, and visual art. And so I got into HSPVA, which is the school I went to for creative writing. And even though I love creative writing, the amount of work that I had to do at that school prevented me from doing, you know, the other three things that I was interested in doing. And they had a great biology class that I took um, that I really enjoyed. But still I had, you know, I'd come home, I'd have three plus hours of work to do. And that didn't leave me time to do any of the other things that I, you know, was actually passionate about. Um, And so that was that was part of the reason why I Actually, that was probably the biggest reason why I left HSPVA after my freshman year and started what I call the self-designed school. So it wasn't really self-directed. Uh, well, it, it sort of was. So I took um, biology classes at a local university. Uh, I took an online math class, a, a Spanish class with tutor, and then some uh, history and literature classes at the um, private school that I had gone to in eighth grade. Um, and so <laughs> that was sort of my first sort of step into self-directed my learning. Um, and that allowed me the ability to swim. I swam a ton, uh, uh, sophomore year and I got by like my, um, speed progressed a lot. I was able to do some advanced biology, which I had never done before. And I was fascinated by how much, you know, I didn't know and how much there was still out there to know or to learn. And that was really exciting, um, but I also got to do some art that I hadn't that I was sort of deprived of from my uh, freshman year of high school. Um, and that was that sort of transition was really helpful in showing me that I like I, I do have a choice, and when it comes to my education, then I can still do you know well, even if I'm not doing the typical, 5 day a week school because I think that was the biggest fear that I had coming out of HSPVA um, is that if I'm self-designing my own school will it still turn out okay and like will I still be able to um will I still be able to I, I guess present something to colleges and learn and that it proved that I was and so I think after that I sort of was like okay well if I was able to do that let me see if I can fully self-direct my learning and this wasn't just like a total switch. Like my dad had been talking to me about different examples of people who had self-directed their learning and who had gone on very um, atypical learning paths and still, you know, they were able to (laughs) do fine in their life, which I think was the biggest worry I had about Mm self-directing my learning. Um, And so I was like, yeah, let's try it. And unfortunately, you know, COVID hit. And so I wasn't able to do a lot of things that I would have liked to do, like traveling and internships and things like that but i was able to learn a lot about things that i wouldn't have learned about if i was in a typical school and what i'm doing right now i think is so valuable to my life and to my education because um for like the first time i have the opportunity to lead and design my own learning and choose the things that i'm actually interested about and go deeper into those things um and so This is where I am now, and it's been a sort of wild ride getting here, but I really enjoy it.
0: Mm. And just to be clear, are we still in your uh, sophomore year, or are we now in your junior year, 11th grade? Yes, sorry.
1: Yeah, I am in 11th grade right now.
0: Got it. So you did this whole sophomore, 10th grade uh, year of self, what you call self-designed school, and that finished uh, summer 2020, and then... Um, Now you're in what we're calling your, your junior year, 11th grade, but it's, it's been restricted by COVID. Yes. Got it. And are you continuing to use the phrase self-design school uh, at this moment? Uh, When people ask, what are you doing? You know, what's your, your canned answer for them?
1: Uh, It's usually self-directed school or unschooling. Um, And I just talk about how, what I'm doing with my time right now is just pursuing the things that I've been really interested about. So I'm spending a lot of time uh, swimming and in the water. Um, I'm not able to really travel anywhere doing internships related to marine biology, but I have been doing research projects on my own. And then with art, you know, I'm still taking photos and painting and doing all the visual art things that I really enjoy doing. Um, So it's just more like a deep dive into the things that I'm passionate about.
0: Yes, the things that don't require much moving far away from home. Right. <laughs> uh, let's go back to your sophomore year, your self-designed school, because this sounds like a really pivotal, uh, <clears throat> pivotal year for you. Yeah. And I was interested in how many different sources you seem to have for your, your, your structured learning. And so you you were taking biology classes at a local university. What, which university was this?
1: That was the University of St. Thomas.
0: Okay. And yeah. is this uh, something that was that's normally done as a 16, I guess, 15 year old? Uh, were you allowed to just pay to attend a course? Did you have to ask to audit? Was this tricky?
1: It was, but I had fall. I sort of followed in the footsteps of a friend of mine who did sort of the same thing. Um, I did have to pay to attend the course. It was a really big discount for high schoolers. Oh. Um, and in both of the classes I took, there is another high school who high schooler who did it with me. So that was nice. So I had a, someone my age to um, work alongside.
0: And you took multiple biology classes there were, were any of these marine biology classes. Cause that's what you were, you were really missing the previous year.
1: Yeah. So neither of them were marine biology. Um, unfortunately the marine biology course that they offered had a lot of prerequisites that I hadn't achieved yet. Um, but the first one that I took was, um, anatomy and physiology. And then the second one was cellular and molecular biology. Um, and so those aren't necessarily like (laughs) directly related to marine biology. Um, but I thought that it was, it would have been really interesting and it it was incredibly, um, informative course. And I learned a lot about, you know, the in-depthness of (laughs) um the field of biology and for the anatomy and physiology by bi- our biology class that I took I think it helped me a lot with understanding more about um and I, I know it wasn't a comparative anatomy class but it did help me understand more about you know the anatomy of not just humans but of uh like animals um specifically marine mammals
0: Um, (laughs) I'm going to take your word for it. I also loved science uh, when I was your age, but I was more into like the physics and astronomy and chemistry side of things. I only ever took one biology class, but uh, it it does sound fascinating. Like, do you have a chance to take a, a real marine biology class anytime in the near future?
1: I think I, yes, I think I would be able to um i might have to (laughs) pull a couple strings and use my uh network to see if i could because that class that i mentioned before has a lot of prerequisites but i think it would be possible to um take it either yeah probably next year because i don't know if i'll be able to do it this year because it's already in session Mm -hmm. but yeah
0: And that's something I noticed on your LinkedIn profile also in the final paragraph of your about section. It says, I am very interested in learning from anyone in these areas, marine biology, environmental conservation, visual art, and you go on. And and I just think that's great, you know, kind of putting yourself out there and saying, hey, world, I would love to learn (laughs) from you. And maybe no one will ever write you and say, I know marine biology and here's all of my expertise on, on a platter for you but maybe someone will, or someone will know someone else. And so again, this is something about your your online self-presentation, which I think you're doing a really good job of. Um, What's it like taking, let's dwell on these university classes uh, you took. Uh, What was it like hanging out with a bunch of 18 to 22 year old undergraduates? Or or did you even connect with them at all? Were you maybe kind of on, on separate tracks, just you and your other teenage friend?
1: No, I connected reasonably well. I think it was um it was pretty cool because for one they were super welcoming. I think once they realized that I was like two or three years younger than they were, they were like, "Wow, like <laughs> let's take her in." <laughs> um but I I thought it was really just really cool how I was able to um like learn material that they were learning and I was able to handle it well and um, I found it really inspirational how welcoming they were, but also how like they they didn't have the chance to do this like I did in high school, but they still really found it as a as informative as I, as I did. I don't know if that makes sense, but I thought it was sure. I thought it was really fun taking a class with people who were a lot older than me. Um, not only did it push me to you know try to keep up. Um, but also set an example for like who I would want to be when I'm in their shoes. And if I ever have a 16 year old in my class, whenever I'm in college.
0: And did you see any uh, negative role models? Uh, did you see any college students? You're like, I don't want to become like that person.
1: Um, no, no, not really. There is uh, obviously there's a range of, um, uh, <laughs> diligence in the class. That's, so very, that's a very people... kind
0: way to say that, Olivia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So there were some people who, you know, like this was like really, really important to them, and there's other other people who didn't really know exactly where they wanted to go, and they're taking the class. So obviously, I tried to stick more with the people who were really, really interested in doing well in the class. Um, but I think the idea of taking the class and you know just seeing like where you're going and, you know, sort of testing the waters. I think that's something that a lot of people didn't have a chance to do earlier. So I don't know if I'd hold it against them, but obviously I'd try to um, stick more with the more diligent side of the class.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about uh, the online math class. What was that and where did you take it?
1: Yeah. So I took algebra two, I think it was actually called intermediate algebra on the platform, the art of problem solving. Wow. That was an incredibly, incredibly hard course. So it's like, it's like algebra two, like everything that you'd learn in a normal algebra two class and so much more. Like it was like, I just remember taking the class and I would compare it with the, my friends who were also taking algebra two. And I was like, do you, do you know how to, have you ever even learned about this problem? They're like, I have no idea what that looks like. And it was incredibly challenging and I loved it so much because it just challenged me so much. It, totally put me outside of my comfort zone and I learned so much more about math than, you know, I think was possible. Um, And it's incredibly hard, but incredibly, incredibly fun. Uh,
0: This is interesting. I've never heard of this before, Art of Problem Solving, but I'm looking at the website right now. And uh, are these synchronous, like live courses with, you know, with other students who you get to connect with or is it asynchronous work on your own pace watch videos
1: uh so it's sort of a mixture of both so there we have a a meeting um once a week where we sort of go over the material with the teacher and there's other students in the class and it's like it's not on like zoom or anything but it's on this uh, platform wherever he will like just post The information that he's going over and we can chat things that we need help with or answers to problems that he asks. Um, And then during the week, they have a set of problems um, and then like other things that you can work on. Also videos to help you if you're like struggling with material Um, and you can chat with other people in your class or in your course. And at the end of each week, they have a writing problem, which is It varies sometimes, um, but they were really challenging. They required you to think and they required you to use all that you had learned, um, not just that week, but weeks previous to sort of figure out the answer to the problem. Um, And I don't know if I'd say that I was a great student in that class. (laughs) There was a lot of really good students. Um, But I think part of the reason why I liked it so much was not because I was an all-A student, but because I was learning something. And learning it in a way that was extremely fast paced and mm. um, I would not have been able to do so in a you know a typical math and uh environment in like a high school,
0: yeah, that was a big challenge for me being in math in high school. I often felt like I just wanted to to blaze ahead, and I was restricted and had to to follow the the same pace of the curriculum as everyone else. And and I often felt bored and unengaged. So it's really great to hear that you found something that kind of matched your speed, even if it meant you didn't feel like a star student anymore. You were just struggling (laughs) to keep up.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Spanish, you had a tutor. Was this a a live in-person tutor, someone online?
1: Yeah. So she was in person. She actually was tutoring my sister first, Um and then eventually I started tagging along and started taking the class with her. Um and I think that was helpful because one of the biggest problems I have with school is that you learn a bunch of this material and then you just forget it, you know? Um and so I had learned I had done Spanish one and Spanish two. Um and my Spanish hadn't gone away completely, but I had a lot of things that I had learned the previous year that were I had forgotten. Um, and so I enjoyed that class a lot because it didn't, not only it ref- did it refresh me, but it also helped me with like more conversational Spanish, which I hadn't really had a chance to do, mm-hmm. um, in the Spanish two class that I had taken at, uh, HSPBA.
0: Mm-hmm. And so this was one-on-one tutoring.
1: Yeah. Sort of one-on-two. So it was, she one helped, two. she was tutoring yeah. my sister and I, so. Okay.
0: Close enough. Um, I- one of the most powerful spanish learning experiences i ever had was was going to uh, guatemala and which is like the only place i could afford to take one-on-one spanish uh, tutoring and yeah. it was it was 4 hours a day 5 days a week and i was just dead at the end <laughs> of each of those sessions because it's not like a spanish class high school spanish classes were or shockingly easy, you know, any right. sort of large group class, there, there are ways to, to slide and and kind of hide yourself and not really have to put yourself out there. But when it's one-on-one or in your situation, one-on-two, there's no hiding from that tutor, right? Right. It's right. like, you got to be on the whole time. Yeah. Um, and so a- another common complaint that young people have about school is that it, it's irrelevant. And, and a lot of people say foreign language, why do I need to speak Spanish? Why do I need to take this French class? I'm, I'm not using it. Yeah. And and this is an interesting question because of the classes that, that I took in school, I actually did end up using my Spanish. Like right. I have verb conjugations that, that are just there in my head. Right. And, and that was back before I had a clear sense of relevance for uh, you know, knowing that I was going to be traveling a lot to Spanish speaking countries. So how, right. did, how did this work for you in terms of Spanish, but also feel free to talk about other subjects, like how important was relevance to you?
1: Yeah, so Spanish, I have always thought that foreign languages were extremely relevant. So because I'm interested in marine biology, I don't assume that I'm gonna be working solely in America. Um, and there's a lot of different like marine biology locations, um, especially coastal locations in South America and in Central America. So Spanish has always been a part that I have prioritized and I always found it extremely relevant. Other classes, not so much. I have, I, I love, I love learning and I love, you know, learning the generic classes like English, history, math, stuff like that. But I think as I start getting more interested in the specific things that I'm passionate about, which are, you know, swimming, marine biology, and visual art, those other things start coming less and less relevant. Like, I get learning math, and I get learning history, but right now, I don't know if I need to be spending, like, the amount of time that I would spend in a typical school on math and on history, like for writing for me, um, like if for a typical English course, you know, you'd be writing, you'd be reading. I am still writing and reading, but I'm not doing it. Like with the English course, I'm reading books related to marine biology. Mm -hmm. I'm writing posts and blogs about things that I'm interested in. And I think that is much more beneficial to my long-term, um, like knowledge and expertise, because I'm not gonna be writing a essay about, I don't know, Gerald Tolkien when I'm <laughs> doing marine biology in my future. I'm gonna be writing a report or writing a blog about something that I'm passionate about and I'm trying to share with the world. Um, and so I think that there is a place for those core subjects, but I don't know if we need to be spending so much time as, like schools are currently spending on those subjects. I think that, you know, in elementary school and middle school, getting the foundation is super important. It's like, it's vital, but ha- spending all that time building that foundation, it doesn't allow you for any room to actually see what you're actually passionate yeah. about, which I think is one of the biggest things that I've, and so grateful for in my self directed and sort of unschooling experience that I'd actually begun to figure out what I'm passionate about and explore those.
0: And it sounds like that's what you really struggled with in your ninth grade year was right. that you had so little choice, so little autonomy. Um, you just had to take, I imagine you got to choose some elective courses, maybe, and you did get to, yeah. you know, indulge your creative writing side. It was a performing yeah. arts school. But still, it sounds like it it was just too rigid, not enough flexibility. There's no real option to say, instead of doing this, uh, the same writing assignment that everyone else is doing, go ahead and just spend the next four months writing about biology.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm still dwelling on this 10th grade year because I I just love the diversity of of approaches that you took here, the the university biology class. Um, the classes, the online math class through the art of problem solving, the, the one-on-two Spanish tutoring. But then you also went back to your eighth grade school to do history and literature. At this point, I have a, a sort of meta-level question, which is like, this sounds like a lot of scheduling. Like, <laughs> how, did, how did all these pieces, we haven't even gotten to the swimming or the art yet. Like, how did all these pieces fit together? And, and then I'll come back and ask you about what it was like going back to your eighth grade school.
1: Yeah, so scheduling was hard, um, which is part of the reason why I chose the biology classes that I chose is because those were the classes that were available on Tuesdays and Thursdays because my history and English classes were on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. My um, sort of my group math class was, I think, Tuesday e- evening, and then my science classes were on Tuesday and Thursday, so it was it was a lot of scheduling, um, but it worked well. So, because I was only taking two classes at um, the school I went to in eighth grade, I had the rest of the day to work on, you know, Spanish, science, math, um, and you know, English and history. And so, it was almost like a college class because, or a college sort of setup. Because mm-hmm. I was not taking classes from what eight to three. I was taking it from ten thirty to two and then before that and after that i had free time to work on things that i wanted to work on and finish homework for the other classes i was taking um and so the extra free time that i had i spent doing art and then in the evenings that was almost entirely dedicated for swimming
0: oh wow um, what was it like going back to your eighth grade school? You know, you just said you kind of felt like a college student with the, the level of flexibility and, and self scheduling, but at the same time, did did it feel regressive to go back to your eighth grade school and take some classes there?
1: No, not at all. So the the history class was not not entirely rigorous, but the um, they call it great books. It was the literature class, mm-hmm. extremely rigorous. We read a book each week. So we had (laughs) a lot of books that we covered a course of uh, the entire year and they weren't small books either. They were average, probably a hundred pages and they were theological books. So they were not sort of the story type books that are pretty easy to understand. Like you really had to read it and sort of dive deep and really Mm -hmm. like read, read, read to understand it. Um, And we discussed the books in class. So I absolutely loved that uh, course because it pushed me to really like really dive deep into the books and really understand what I was trying to discuss and talk about during class. And we also had a lot of papers that we wrote. I think we wrote probably a paper per week or maybe a paper every other week. Um, and so that really helped my writing and my <laughs> ability to read and understand. Um, so I did not feel like I was regressing at all. It was a little awkward. Um, leaving the school cause all my friends had stayed, but leaving the school and coming back to it, um,
0: mm.
1: what was that? A year two later, years two later. years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they were very welcoming and, um, yeah.
0: And let's talk about just how you set this up too. I assume that this was a private school.
1: Yes. it was. And
0: did your parents just like finagle a, a deal with the administration and say, let Olivia take one or take two classes this year and and prorate the, the tuition for us. Like, how did they make that happen?
1: <laughs> no. So it's actually a really interesting setup, but it's also sort of college-like. So I think it's called a la carte or something like that. Um, so, they, you're allowed to pick and choose the classes that you want to take, so my sister I think she took three classes that year. I had some friends that took two classes that year as well um, that's why in eighth grade, I was able to pick a ninth grade and the tenth grade class, even though I was in eighth grade oh that's right yeah, so it's a really interesting setup and they give you a lot of flexibility. I think you have to take a certain amount of courses to get a, dip- a high school diploma from that school, but they don't they allow people who aren't in t- like intending on de- getting a high school diploma from that school to basically have freedom to choose whatever class they want to take.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I'll, I'll have to yeah. get the name of that school and share it Yeah, in the, the show notes also. And it, it's starting to remind me of uh, I did an episode previously with the director of village home in Portland, Oregon, which uh, is summarized as a community college for homeschoolers. Oh, and, cool. it, and I love that idea of just, yes, sign up for it. Any class you'd like, a la carte, as long as you can meet the basic prerequisite requirements, we're not going to tell you that you're, you're in the wrong year or you know, it's too soon for you to do this. It, that's, right. that's treating young people with respect. And uh, I, I don't know why we don't do more of that. It, it yeah. boggles my mind. Okay, finally, swimming. Uh, you said you spent most evenings swimming. I think a lot of young people who are very serious about a sport are afraid of leaving the traditional school system because there's it's so closely tied to sports opportunities. And so how did this work for you?
1: Yeah. So that's a, it's a really interesting question. So all of my friends on my swim team um, maybe exception of one swim for their high school. Um, I did not have that opportunity because the high school that I'm zoned to only offers, I think, basketball, track and football. And the only opportunity that I could swim for high school is if I went to a high school with the swim team and I wasn't really interested in doing that. So I was never, my swimming career was never really tied to high school. I do, um, I do know that it helps a lot with recruiting and things like that, but because I was never exposed to that to begin with, it didn't really affect my decision to um, have these weird sort of schooling models because it never really was involved to begin with, but it did, um, it did affect the way I designed my school because I was, um, I, I did like to leave my mornings open to work out and things like that. And I like to leave my evenings open to go to some practice. Um, so that is how it impacted my schooling. But other than that, it was, I had a lot of, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot of things impacting my decision on whether I should do a self-design school or not because my swimming wasn't really tied that much into it.
0: Okay. That's great.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned that your 10th grade year was also this year where you, you wanted to prove to yourself that you could, you could do stuff that's not conventional school and, and still feel like you're making progress towards college admissions. And you said that you, you felt successful mm-hmm. in that yeah. regard. And mm-hmm. so what, what gave you this confidence? Because kind of like sports, that's another huge point of concern and anxiety, especially for people who feel like they're on the, the sort of fast track to competitive college and to step off of, of that conveyor belt is extremely scary. Um, so I, I imagine that, that you're in that category, but you yeah. have somehow found uh, your, your confidence uh, taking a, a different path.
1: Yeah. So I think, My dad definitely helped me a lot with this, Um, and also uh, reading your book, College or That High School, it just helped me develop this like reality where if I could prove, because if I could prove to the colleges that I, even if I'm not taking the you know classes that most other high schoolers are taking, if I can prove to them that I'm still capable and like ready to learn, um, then I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have anything to fear in regards to colleges. My dad has talked to several people who are college um, uh, admissions counselors and things like that, and one of them in particular had a son who like dropped out of high school and started his own business or something like that, and ended up going to MIT. Some some crazy sort of path to college, um, and there were just these stories that I kept hearing that sort of helped me figure out that yes, even though so many people are doing the traditional high school path. That doesn't mean that's the only way to get to college. Hmm. Um, And I think whenever I found that out, I was sort of like, and whenever I sort of internalized it and started believing it, I was like, okay, well, if that's true, then why am I doing this, you know, high school path? Yes, I'm really good at it. I'm really, I'm getting really good grades and I'm doing really well, but I'm not really pursuing the things that I'm wanting to pursue that's not necessarily true in the case of my 10th grade year, because I was pursuing the things that I wanted to pursue. Um, But especially in, you know, like I said, ninth grade, why would I follow this path if there's another way to get to point B and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to go point A to point B. I can go C to point B if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It starts to look like a real complex mosaic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and some of the things that you've been doing, like the writing and the art, I've seen that on your website. Um, it, it lends itself to easily being shared and, and you can show it, show it off to people who you want to impress.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: what about other forms of learning that you've been doing that, that don't lend themselves so easily? Um, like, are, are you uh, building a portfolio beyond the web page that you have? Uh, how are you thinking about documenting and, 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 showing college admissions officers, especially if you're trying to go to a very competitive school, you know, that what you've done.
1: Yeah, I'm actually, (laughs) that's funny you ask, because I'm doing, and I'm currently uh, filling out an application for, not not right now, but over the past few weeks and months, I've been filling out an application for a scholarship program that I am applying to. um, And the scholarship program is pretty, typical in the sense that it's looking for academic um, excellence in the forms of GPAs and uh, SATs and honors classes and things like that. Um, So the way I think I would present my, the way I'm trying to present my case is not even trying to align myself to that, the group of people who are academically excellent in the typical sense, um, but by just showing that these are the things that I've done. (laughs) These are the projects that I've done. These are the books that I've read because I've read a lot of books. Um, and I don't, I actually do not know how I would combine sort of my writings and my paintings into a, like a portfolio that I give them other than giving them to link that link to my website or actually just like putting it onto a PDF file with all the different paintings and writings that I've done. Um, but, yeah, it is tricky because there's some things that aren't as easy to just put on a PDF and say, like, this is the things that I've accomplished. Um, but my dad has been super helpful with that, um, working that out and stuff. So
0: good. And uh, I've helped a couple of teenagers create kind of complicated portfolios, which do end up just becoming PDF files. Uh, yeah. but there's, there's one on my website. If you go click on the projects. Correct. Um, okay button you can see an example of it yeah Um, okay good Uh, what other like lingering concerns are floating around your head nowadays with regard to your alternative learning path Olivia is there anything that still feels unclear that that keeps you up at night uh, that you worry about
1: yeah for sure um I think the biggest one for me is like will I will I be able to convince colleges that I am still a worthy candidate. Um, I think, especially because I don't have these letter grades that I used to have, I get scared sometimes that I'm just going to look like a high school dropout, and they're going to be like, well, no, (laughs) she's not ready for college, Um, which I know isn't true, but I think the proving that I am a Like a a worthy candidate or an eligible candidate is something that I am still worried about. And I don't know if that fear is ever going to go away until I get into college.
0: (laughs) It it, it will probably not go away until you get into your dream schools, which I'm highly convinced you will, Olivia. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's fundamentally unknowable, right? And and it changes... Over time, kind of the, the process, it changes depending on the, the colleges you're applying to. It changes yeah. based upon the attitudes of certain admissions officers. Right. And so there's so much that's outside of your control. Um, I get that anxiety. And, and yeah, at, at a certain level, there's not much to be done about it. But from my perspective, you seem to be doing everything humanly possible. <laughs> so keep it up.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: Tell me a little bit more about this year that you're in right now. We're recording in early 2021 and you felt limited. You said that you wanted to do some like travel and internships and some research projects. Can you tell me more about what, what your hopes and dreams were?
1: Yeah. So in regards to self-directing my learning, um, I was really interested in doing a lot more hands-on in the form of like I don't know, marine biology internships. I had done a a internship at the Houston Zoo in the aquarium department the previous summer, summer 2019. And I really enjoyed that. So I was hoping to do something more like that. Um, Almost everything is shut down now due to COVID, but um, I have still found ways to do more virtual, I guess, um, research projects and uh, interviews with people. Um, And so even though it's not as hands-on as I would have hoped, it still gives me a chance to explore the things that I'm interested in while, you know, (laughs) maintaining social distancing and (laughs) staying on my computer.
0: (laughs) Tell me more about these virtual research projects and interviews.
1: Yeah. So um, last semester, um, I did a research project over the Padre Island National Seashore and the Sea Turtle Science and Recovery Program down there. Um, i had been really interested in that because I think I never really had a chance to research a conservation group that was actually, you know, a real a real world conservation group like today. Um, And so the previous year I had heard about these budget cuts that they're undergoing um, and I didn't really know that much about them, but I wanted to explore more about that. And so I did sort of I took a month and I did a deep dive in that research project. Um, I was, I called some people, I learned about like that my research was a little flawed and that, um, I needed to go deeper in another side of the research that I hadn't, you know, initially thought I needed to go deep in. Um, and then at the end of that, I presented it to, um, this lady that I, who works at the Houston zoo, who is a a zookeeper for the sea lions. Um, and I presented it to her and, and just asked for her feedback. And it was really helpful because that was I was able to present it to someone who is, you know, a sort of professional in the field of marine biology and conservation and things like that and I got to hear her, you know, real time like how her response to it and get real time feedback on, you know, what I should do better next time and other things that I should consider and I I thought that was incredibly um incredibly helpful and just really exciting to to do and then this year I am I sort of got delayed um, due to a ton of things on my schedule but I have started doing a project regarding conservation in like the Houston community so um, I'm like planning on contacting different politicians and zookeepers and conservationists and artists and a lot of just sort of seemingly random people in our community to learn about how conservation impacts them um, because I'm really interested in doing some sort of community involvement project um, regarding, to con- regarding conservation. Um, and I-, I can't see a better way to learn how to do that than by asking people who are in my community about like, what that looks like to them.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of, of teenagers feel intimidated by this idea of, for example, self-designing research projects um, uh, talking to people who are uh, not officially designated as their teachers or mentors. Right. Um, kind of organically creating these connections. But what I just heard in your voice when you when you described sharing the the research you did about the sea turtles, I believe, with the actual marine biologist and getting her mm-hmm. feedback, like that just sounded so empowering. And getting yeah. to to hear the opinion, of someone who actually gets paid to do this work in real life that right. that's just one of the biggest uh challenges with with school and with teachers I think is that you know that they're they're paid to be teachers and they're not getting paid to do the thing that they're teaching about maybe they did in the past, and if so, more power to them more street cred um, but i've I've often felt that there, there's a, a fundamental challenge with trying to gain a teenager's respect. If you're trying to teach that teenager something that you are not actually, um, you know, highly highly experienced in, it's like a, a teenager can sniff that out really quickly, <laughs> and and that yeah. leads to a, a challenge of of authority and, and respect. Whereas when you Go and seek out like the marine biologist and say, I did this research for the past month. Can you tell me whether I'm on the right track or not? Um, like you're going to pay a lot of attention and give a lot of respect to that person because because first of all, you created this situation. And second of all, this person is a professional um you know, e- even if they, they might teach sometimes that they spend most of their time doing the thing. That's so crucial. Do you agree with me on this or, or am I missing anything? Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. No, definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, and I just wanted to ask one more clarifying question about your research projects. I'm not quite sure what, what form this project took in the end. Like, were you researching stuff online and calling people and asking questions and then writing a paper about this? Were you creating some sort of, you know, visual or, or, or online project?
1: Yeah. So it was sort of a mixture of both. Um, I, I have yet to create a video or a series of videos where I explain what I've researched. Um, cause I was really interested in doing that as well. But what I did was, um, I did a bunch of research online, like you said, and I called people and wrote up <laughs> a ton of notes, my document that has all my notes. It's, it's so confusing because there's, it's like so many pages and it's so hard to find things in it. Um, but in the end, uh, I wrote up a, I think it was a short report about what I did. Um, and then I had a, um, Google slides presentation that I presented to, um, the lady that I, um, that I connected with. Um, and that was probably the biggest and most in-depth, um, portion of my research that I had shown to anybody. My notes, I probably should flesh them out and make them a little more easy to understand if I wanted to (laughs) put that on my website or share it with anybody because they're quite confusing. Um, but yeah, I think the, uh, Google Slides presentation has the most sort of, organized information about what I've learned.
0: Cool. If all the restrictions were lifted tomorrow, if you could travel anywhere, um, if, if money were no object, if you could just completely focus on the learning that you wanna be doing, or you don't even have to call it learning, if you just could focus on what you wanna be doing um, for the rest of your junior year, like what would you do, Olivia? Pie, pie in the sky.
1: High in the sky. Okay, so there is—I don't know if you've heard of the vaquitas in um, the Sea of Cortez in Mexico. I have not, but there are that there are small sort of they're porpoises, um, and there is twenty or less, I think, left alive in the wild. And so I think I would go down to the Sea of Cortez and work with the um organizations and the programs that are trying to preserve and protect the vaquitas there um because for me seeing an endangered species and seeing it like slip from the world without really being able to do anything is incredibly challenging and incredibly difficult which is why i am really interested in learning a lot about how the community is involved in conservation because community involvement i as far as I can tell is one of the biggest things that helps lead to conservation. Um, and if that has anything to, has anything to do with it could help at all the vaquitas in the sea of Cortez, that would mean so much to me. So that's probably what I do. I just go down to Mexico and I work with the people to see if we could save the vaquitas.
0: Wow. That is an incredibly specific response. I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> it makes me wonder, have you read the book, uh, Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner. That's a book I stumbled onto in the Berkeley, uh, library one day, just browsing idly, like the environmental science section, a, a riveting yeah. history of like water issues in the West and especially the Colorado river and how, and how, and why yeah. it, it never even ends up, you know, flowing into the sea of Cortez anymore. And, and a lot of environmental yeah. consequences coming out of that. Yeah. Love it. Um, Okay, I would love to wrap up this conversation, Olivia, by returning to those three questions. And I know that you've you've written out the answers on your website for Mm -hmm. anyone who'd like to read it, but I'd love to get your just spontaneous reaction to these questions right now. So the first question is, because you have no control over the future, what will happen if you wait? And, And I'm not even quite sure what you mean by wait. Wait for what?
1: <laughs> that that's, that's the question. Oh, okay. So for for me um I I think I struggle a lot with and I think this is in school I struggled a lot with like I, like I don't know like especially for the vaquitas like I don't know what the future is going to look like in 20 years. You know, I might be a professional in the field of marine biology, but will they be gone by then? So if I am stuck in a class here and I'm waiting and I'm not able to do anything Like what will happen to them? And I think that's where I sort of was framing Mm -hmm. my question from. And so it's just the mentality that, yes, there are some things that have to be done now, but if there's something that you could do now that, that doesn't have to wait until you're quote unquote, you know, ready or professional or something like that. Like, why couldn't I do that? Like, why, why couldn't I go and work with the people who are trying to save the Vaquitas because If I don't, then, you know, maybe they'll die. Maybe they won't, but I I just, I just don't know. So that was where I was sort of going with that question. I know that question is phrased a little weirdly, um, but it's just the idea that if, if you wait, you don't have control of what tomorrow will bring. Mm -hmm. So make your actions today count. Um, Uh, I'm going to
0: hire you as my life coach. Just FYI. (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you that was a great response uh question two what does being different mean to you
1: yes so to me uh well okay the definition I think being different is like something special or unusual or something like that um to me being different really means just embracing your uniqueness and I think on on the um what I wrote up was that, you know, God has given each person a set of skills that they are good at and some things that they are not so good at. And so I think trying to conform yourself to a specific mold is not embracing who God made you to be, but being different in a sense of not like not being a a conformist is honoring your true potential. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, sometimes that was hard for me because I I always wanted to, you know, just be like everyone else. Um, But there's some things that I, I acknowledge that I'm a little different in the form, like in my, in my positions, you know, like for one example, is that I am one of the only people of color in both my, well, in my old school and on my swim team. And so that trying to fit in, is not necessarily going to work because I have a difference, which is my skin color that I can use as a platform to make a positive impact. So I think mm. when I said, what does being different mean to you? It's asking, it's challenging people. Like, cause a lot, I think difference being different has a negative connotation sometimes. And I'm challenging the idea that being different is negative, but instead being different is being yourself and making change i think there was a quote by ah i can't remember who it was it's on my website but it says when you are yourself oh my gosh i'm gonna mess this up so bad <laughs> let
0: me see if i can save you it was, let me see if i can find your quote okay
1: it was under the section on the first page on the very bottom under the section of be you
0: got it uh yes oscar wilde be yourself everyone else is already taken Yes, love it. And
1: there, is there another one on there as well?
0: There is, um, there, there is one by Coco Chanel. Is that what you're looking for? No, it's it's oh, under oh uh, under be by by Saint, Saint Catherine yourself. of Siena. Yes, okay, that's be, right. Be yes. who God created you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Saint Catherine of Siena. Yes,
1: I really should know that because <laughs> I really love that quote. Um, but yes, I think I, I I really like that quote because I, I, I believe it. I believe that if we can all be ourselves and not be ourselves in the sense that like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I don't know, go party because that's just who I am or whatever, but use the gifts that God has created us to be, even if they're not gifts that people think that we should have, I think we can really make a positive impact in the world.
0: Lovely. All right, question number 3 is Oh no. I lost it since I, I went to go <laughs> to go find your oh. uh, your quotes on your webpage. It's okay. I'm, I'm going to find it again. Okay. <laughs> Who designed your website by the way? I did. did? Well done. Yeah. Question number 3. Thank you. Have you ever wondered why me?
1: Yeah. This one was inspired by my mom. Um, So I think she, whenever we were little, she would sort of toy with us because oftentimes, you know, people are like, oh, why me? Like, why did this bad thing have to happen to me? Like, why am I in this situation? And she toyed with us because she flipped it. She said, instead of saying that, say, like, why did God bless me? Like, why am I so lucky, so blessed to be, in this position. Um, And I think she used it a lot in, um, whenever we would do swim meets and we would race, uh, all three of my, or all two of my siblings, um, all three of us would used to swim. And so whenever a bad meet or a bad race would happen, she would challenge us to say, you know, yes, yes, that race went bad, but why did God give me this position? Like, why do I have this opportunity to race? Like, what can I do to use this opportunity to the best of my abilities? Um, And so I think it's just the idea of being grateful for the things that we have been given. Um, And whether that's in in my religion, it's being like showing gratitude to God, or whether it's just being grateful that you have the opportunities that you have. I think that's something that sometimes can get lost, Mm -hmm. um, but that it's really important to like uh, internalize and think about a lot. Gratitude is extremely important. And for me, that is something that I really feel called to, I guess, share that being
0: grateful is, it's Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. You know, this makes me think of, of some of the messages that I internalized growing up in the orbit of Silicon Valley, especially going going to college right when the the tech boom was really happening, because there's this whole secular philosophy there of seeing problems as opportunities. And also Mm -hmm. to a smaller extent, um, gratitude and a sense of kind of West Coast, California positivity. (laughs) <laughs> which I definitely identify with. You also have made me yeah. think of the, the summer camp that I've talked about many times on this podcast, your crossing camp, which has its own mm-hmm. secular philosophy of positivity and seeing what you know, other people construe as, as negative situations or setbacks as um, again, opportunities or a, a chance to think, you know, h- how can I, I make the most of this? How can I turn this into something that, that is an advantage for me? And that happened very simply in that camp environment by reframing language. And we were instructed uh, to to never say the words I can't and instead say, I choose not to, or I could if I. And then once you went a little bit deeper into the the camp director's philosophy, you would learn to, you know, instead of saying, I have to, or I should, you say, I get to. And of course, there's a certain element of, magical thinking to this you can take this too far in my opinion that's right. what the law of attraction is um, but but there right. is something vital and important here in, in saying I, i'm not just uh at mercy to the the, the fates of the world you know that mm-hmm. i i have the ability to steer this ship at least a little bit and that starts with just interpreting situations at not as like the worst possible interpretation, not catastrophizing everything. Like you lose your swim meet, you know, what does this say about me? There's a lot that is written in positive psychology about this too. Um, You're just making me realize, Olivia, how much of, of, you know, what you've framed as um, the question, why me? I've had that framed to me also, just in all these different ways. So so thank you for that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that I've missed out on here. That's an important part of your story, Olivia. I haven't asked you about your parents. I haven't asked you about other potentially, you know, significant uh, events in your life or your environment. Uh, is there anything else that you feel like has been, been really crucial or, or definitely worth mentioning uh, in terms of enabling this self-directed path that you're now on?
1: Yeah, definitely my parents and my family, Um, I know that probably one of the biggest things that I have learned from self-directing my learning is that it gives me the space and the freedom to learn about myself. And there have been a lot of blind spots that I've had that have um, sort of come out whenever I started self-directing my learning. And I think I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful for my family, for helping me with this so it's, it's weird self-directing my learning because my brother, he, my older brother, he's doing a traditional high school. So this is sort of like, this was unheard of in my family, um, but just being there for me and encouraging me and teaching me that, you know, I think the idea of perfectionism is something that I had grown up with being a really good student, that the idea that, you know, my worth is in the grade or in being perfect or whatever, but helping me sort of navigate the, the flip side that I am, you know, worthy regardless, um, was something that I, I will be an an entire uh, forever grateful for them for that, helping me getting through that. Um, and yeah, I think, I just think, I wish, I wish that more people had the opportunity to really reflect and learn about themselves in the way that I've learned about myself while self-directing my learning. I think that technology has definitely not helped with that. Um, You know, always having a phone nearby. It has
0: not helped with that.
1: Yes, has not. Technology has not helped. I'm very curious about that.
0: Yeah. please. I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I I am interrupting your train of thought just because I find that very (laughs) intriguing.
1: Yeah. So what I mean by that is just that, um, whenever myself included, whenever I am bored or I have downtime, more often than not, I will pick up my phone and you know, go on YouTube or do whatever on my phone. Whatever nonsense I'm doing on my phone, but the the opportunity to sit and quiet and think is something that is incredibly rare in not just my life, but in the lives of a lot of people, because we have, you know, technologies that are sort of loud and that are constantly calling our attention. But the ability to do that, I think it's incredibly important because it gives you the freedom and the opportunity to learn about yourself in a way that you might not have been able to do so if you had distracted yourself with a phone or a computer or something like that. Does that make sense? It
0: does. And I completely agree. And we could probably record a whole nother podcast episode just on that theme. <laughs> but for now, I'll just say I agree. <laughs> okay. And and just to follow up on that, like what, it, it's hard to escape the, yeah. the, the glittery uh, attraction of technology and, and the wonderful social uh, apps that we have. And so yeah. how do you step away from that? How, how do you give yourself that that quiet space to build your self-knowledge?
1: Definitely family and community helps a lot with that. You know, like if I'm on my phone or I'm watching YouTube, um, more often than not, someone will be like, uh, are you supposed to be doing that? Like, I don't think that's a great use of your time and that definitely helps. Um, but also I've made it, like harder for myself to enjoy those things. I got I I think I got Instagram this time last year I deleted my account um because it was distracting me too much and same with YouTube. I don't have the app on my phone and I put restrictions on my computer and things like that so that it's harder for me to like if if I if, I, if I'm bored it's harder for me to enjoy that and so instead of enjoying that I'll go do something else like sitting and thinking or reading or painting um, so I think that's some of the ways that I've tried to protect myself from the constant noise and activity that can be found on phones and things, but it's hard. It's yeah. really hard because they do not make it easy. The <laughs> social media and YouTube want you to be on their platform.
0: So, yeah. And, and it's a lifelong challenge. People of all ages, yeah. adults are just as bad as young people nowadays, mm-hmm. Wow. Well, this uh, interview has exceeded my expectations, Olivia. Thank you so much for your time. And um, if people would like to find out more about you again, we'll put the links in the show notes, but can you just tell us right now with the easiest way to find you online? What is that?
1: Oh, that's a, a good question. <laughs> uh, okay. I think two. I have a YouTube channel. I do not have a lot of content on there, but I do have my, um, LinkedIn and my, um, my website link on my YouTube channel. It's called black life, blue world, and it should come up because there's not a lot of names that have that in it. Also my LinkedIn. Um, I'm not super active on LinkedIn cause I just, uh, started it, but you could also find me there. If you go to Matt Barnes, you could also find me through Matt Barnes.
0: Uh,
1: Um, that's my dad and he is
0: the old dad trick. All right. Well, again, I'll post those links. And so, um, it'll be easy to find. Thank you, Olivia.
1: Thank you so much.